0: Hi, this is Chris Torres, and welcome to the American Agriculturist Young Farmer Podcast. According to the 2019 U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Hispanic workers make up 27.5% of total workers in agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting. And when you break those stats down further, Hispanics make up 34% of workers in crop production and 19.3% of workers in animal production. A lot is misunderstood about this vital part of the ag workforce, but one thing is clear. Hispanics are becoming leaders in the ag community. One of those leaders is Alfredo Resendez Rojo, a 23-year-old Clifton Springs, New York native, who fell in love with farming when he started tagging along with his farm worker father as a young child. Now, Alfredo is helping farmers in a different way, by helping them protect their profits and businesses as a commodities trader in Chicago. We talked to Alfredo about growing up the son of a first-generation Mexican farm worker, how how growing up in agriculture influenced his love for the business, and his thoughts on getting more young people excited about future careers in agriculture and farming. I hope you enjoy it. And a little bit of a disclaimer, you might hear the sounds of a crying baby in the background during the interview. Well, that's my two-year-old son, Malcolm, who wanted to be this week's guest, but we will have to wait a few weeks until his mother says it's okay. In any case, here's my conversation with Alfredo Resendez Rojo, and as always, stay healthy and stay safe. So, Alfredo, where where do you live?
1: So, I recently uh, moved to Chicago uh, back in January to start a new job, but I grew up um, and was raised in central New York, Clifton Springs area.
0: And we talked earlier, um, it sounds like COVID-19 forced you to come back home for at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I came back home for a little bit. Um, The area I was was in, in, in Chicago, was pretty concentrated, so I wasn't really leaving my apartment or doing anything, so... Once I heard the stay-at-home order got extended, I decided just to come home and do with family for a bit. Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so, you know, the area I grew up in, Central New York, you know, pretty rural, pretty, you know, it's pretty uh, involved in agriculture, you know, cornfields all, all around us. So, you know, as a kid, when my dad worked in a dairy. Uh, his boss was really involved in, in showing, cow- showing cows. So I... She brought me along to a lot of those things, and I started showing cows. And I was, you know, a young kid and doing that for a couple of years in the summers. Uh, and showed me the ropes, and you know, I really enjoyed it. And as I got older, uh, farmed down the road, I uh, was looking for, you know, high school work, and um, I was more than willing to do that. And uh, that's how I got started working, you know, full time on uh, not like really full time, but you know, working at a dairy as a kid throughout high school on the weekends after school. Uh, during the summer and you know the the owner there uh John Muller at Willowbun Farm he was a big mentor for me um you know gave me a lot of good advice uh he was alumni at the school I went to as well at Cornell University and the herdsman there was also from Cornell so I was you know immersed by a lot of alumni who had a deep understanding of the industry and you know gave me more grounding in all of it And, and kind of that built my passion for the industry as well so you know as I just grew up involved in agriculture uh, as a kid and and uh, I'm still in it right now and enjoying it so
0: and as I understand your mom and dad came here directly from Mexico
1: yep they uh, they both came in from Mexico um, they met each other in New York and you know decided to settle down here so
0: that's great what was the what was the farm that the name of the farm that your father actually worked at?
1: It was called. Oh, it's called Willowcrest Farms.
0: And you say that you started showing as a young kid. you Remember how old you were?
1: Uh, about eight or nine years old. I started showing cows.
0: So what? I guess what drove your interest in showing cows at that at that young of an age, especially somebody who um, who didn't come from a you know you, you I guess you could say you grew up on a you grew up in farming, mm-hmm. but you still have to have that that interest. So 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 what what piqued your interest about about showing cows?
1: You know, I mean, my my dad would always bring me to the farm sometimes whenever, you know, especially during, you know, the harvest season, he was always driving uh, trucks and stuff. So he'd bring me along sometimes. And, you know, you know, showing as a kid is is pretty fun. You know, you get, you get to, to be around like small calves as a kid. That's what I started out with, with small calves or even small heifers. And, you know, you kind of build the responsibility throughout the summer of, you know, trimming your cow, having to wash it, having to train it, and it's just fun. It's fun on its own, um, and I thought it was always interesting. So uh, I was coming back and doing it every year, and you know, picking out an animal at the farm that I wanted to show. Um, and my dad's boss was a was a great person, a great leader, and showed me everything there was to know about showing cattle at the you know at the fairs and stuff. So it was very interactive, and you know, kind of kind of got you out of the house in the summer.
0: A lot of hard work.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were, my siblings and I were there almost every day, you know, working on the, on the cows and having to do work and feeding them, cleaning the stalls or having to bathe them or train them throughout the week, so.
0: How many siblings do you have?
1: I got an older brother and a younger sister.
0: You show cattle as a kid and um, you continue showing cattle as a, did you continue showing cattle as a teenager then, you know, through uh, middle up school and high school?
1: Up until I started working, which I was like around fourteen, fifteen. So I did it for about five years, and then once, you know, I was able to do some, you know, miscellaneous jobs on the farm that I was allowed to do. I started doing that more often, and then you know, I turned fifteen. I was able to take my tractor safety course and do more, had more responsibilities on the farm, and you know, kind of lean into that more uh, as I grew older.
0: And then you took a job down the street from this dairy farm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tell me how you got that job.
1: Um, it was pretty much just John reaching out to my dad. You know, we already had a, a good relationship with with the owner at Willow Bend. Um, and and, and John who, and
0: John is the owner of Willow Bend, then.
1: Yeah, John's the owner of Willow Bend. Um, I had already known him, and uh, and you know, we were we were pretty involved with them. You know, either through church or or some sort of community involvement. So, you know, when he knew he knew how old we were. So when he when he when he needed some work uh, done at the farm, you know, he'd always reach out to us and if it was either like doing some field work, picking rocks in the field or maybe mowing lawns or weed whacking around the farm. You know, he, he would always reach out to my brother and I, and you know, once we got older, he was like, you want to work here in the summers and the weekends or doing your breaks? And we were all for it.
0: Do you remember the first job that he gave you?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, uh, me my brother and his son, John's son and a couple more kids. um, Back before we started uh, planting, we had to go into some fields and pick up some of the bigger rocks, so we took some skid steers, a couple other big payloaders and got some gloves and dug out some of the bigger rocks as one of my first jobs.
0: That sounds like fun <laughs>
1: yeah, it was good fun. it paid well, so I was all for it What
0: was it, you know <clears throat> working on the farm i mean what ended up being your your favorite part about that work
1: um i i mean from a from a young age, you know. I was one of the, in my grade, I was one of the first kids to ever have a job, you know, 14, 15, it's hard to find a, you know, good job to go out on the weekends or during breaks or over the summer. And it was consistent and kind of gave me a sense of responsibility from a young age um, to know, you know, to wake up at five, six in the morning and work for 10 plus hours. And I think that was one of the more rewarding things. And, you know, my dad was always proud of us for doing it and, same thing with, with the people I'm working with. They're always, they kind of had a sense of respect for us, and we, we love that. And you just love having a responsibility week in and week out, and it's a good feeling.
0: You know, I just, I, I, you, I've heard these stories many, many times of kids getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning, going to work on the farm before they go to school, and then uh, going to school the whole entire day and going back to work on the farm. Um, I've heard those stories many, many times. I mean, I, I just, boy, I couldn't imagine, um, couldn't imagine doing that. That, that's, that's, that, that's a lot of hard work. Did you also, I mean, were, were you involved in, in school then in terms of activities or anything?
1: Yeah. So I was, I played sports, um, year round. So during the week I couldn't really work after school or something, but on the weekends, either Saturday or Sunday or sometimes both day when needed, I would go work. And then, you know, whenever I had breaks, school breaks or even in the summertime that's when i would work for the most part but that's you know that's pretty much a full-time job in itself going to school sports and then working on the weekend
0: what's your favorite sport
1: uh basketball is my favorite sport still is
0: yeah what what, what position did you play
1: i was a, i was a guard were you pretty good yeah i would say so didn't <laughs> get into college sports but i had a good run in high school
0: there you go <laughs> what um what high school did you go to
1: uh, it's called Mid Lakes high school
0: were you an FFA member or 4-H or anything?
1: Um, I was in 4-H for one year. That was when I was showing, just so I could do the showmanship uh, showing for, for cows. But outside of that, I wasn't really involved in FFA or 4-H. So when you were in
0: high school, and of course, you know, um, you always think about you always think about what you want to do after high school and, you know, if you want to go to college or if you want to go straight into working... Um, you know, what did you, when you were in high school, what did you think about what you were going to do after, after school ended?
1: You know, all through high school, I always thought I was going to, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And that's kind of what I went into, into college initially and, and switched my major and not my major, but switched my concentration. But, um, but, you know, all through high school, I always thought, you know, I want to go to vet school and be a veterinarian, you know, work with farmers, work on dairies. And that's kind of what led me to, you know, continue working on the farm and, being involved in all that and being involved in a program in senior year, so.
0: So, so you had a concentration as a as a veterinarian in in college, and then what did you switch your concentration to?
1: So, uh, so, it was more. It was still in the animal science kind of major, and it's a very broad major that you could do. You could kind of go into different avenues, and then I kind of just focus more on uh, dairy business, business management, or agriculture business. So. I was still in kind of the animal science realm, taking a lot of dairy classes because that's kind of like what my interest is, essentially. But it was more geared toward ag business.
0: And you went to Cornell. You went to the College of Agricultural and, and Life Sciences. Yes, correct. And then you joined the jun- the Junior Dairy Leaders Program. Um, yeah, that was yeah. So so when was that?
1: So that was a program. To, uh, I think it's run. Yeah, it was run through Pro Dairy, which is like an extension of Cornell. And it's it's meant for juniors and seniors in high school, and uh, it's a great opportunity to get involved in in, in the industry of dairy, um, good networking environment for those type of kids to get involved in. And every every once a month on a weekend, you would go to Cornell um, and stay and you know do a bunch of events, whether it be uh, people coming in and giving you seminars on on herd management, on, on crops, on you know farm business and learning different techniques and you know what it's like throughout the industry and you get a lot of exposure um and you know you gain good personal and and professional development throughout the program and you're able to go to Wisconsin to Dairy Expo um take a whole trip with the with the team and then every once in a while throughout the year you would go on farm tours and get to see different farms and um did, you know, like I said, it's a lot of good exposure for kids that maybe haven't gone out and seen those type of things and getting to see how progressive the industry is becoming and how much technology is out there. For me, you know, it was interesting because we went we went to the World Dairy Expo. It was like kind of my first time seeing a robot or seeing, you know, a lot of these machines that I'd never seen before and and for me it was like a lot of good exposure and just piqued my interest even in more about what uh what everything is out, out there in the industry.
0: That's really interesting. You know, was there something you know being involved in that program? Was there something that you that you um, saw in that program, or you know that 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 eventually influenced your decisions in college and what you eventually wanted to do? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, we. I would just say you know the, the connections I, I would I had with the with the people in the program, and we got to talk to a lot of professors that were already at Cornell. You know, so you know being being in that program really. Kind of made my decision that you know I want to apply to Cornell. I want to be in this, in, in the science program. I want to be involved as much as I can with these people, and um, it's a good lead into you know applying for schools and and getting to know different departments and and it was a, a good advantage for Cornell because they have all these kids that've been going there once a month and learning about different people in the industry in that area and getting to know the professors and getting to know the department and you know, right from there and then when I ended that program, I knew I wanted to apply to Cornell and and be involved in all of that and have it, have a job in the industry.
0: And you graduated last year.
1: Yeah. Back in May. Yep.
0: Congratulations. Last
1: May. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's crazy. Um,
0: have are you going to grad school or,
1: um, I'm I'm not sure. Um, you know, with, with this job, it's, there's a lot of potential that I'm, that I'm where I'm working right now uh, for, for development professionally. Um, but if if, if it there if there's an opportunity, um where I think I can, you know, further my education and, and it's gonna be a real advantage and I and maybe it's two to five years down the road, but not anytime soon for sure.
0: So speaking of this job, tell me about this job that you that you got out of Cornell.
1: Yeah, so you know, initially um I came home after school and worked on the farm with John at Willow Bend, who was there for the rest of the year and in that process I uh received I got my Series Three license to be able to trade commodities, and now I'm working for IMTL FC Stone in Chicago as a car,
0: that's
1: as a risk management associate. So you know we we, we work with producers, uh, processors, uh, end users, and help mitigate their price risk and you know protect the bottom line through a variety of tools, features, and options. Uh, over-the-counter products, and a lot of proprietary stuff that we have going on as well. So it's it's really interesting, and it's a different part of the industry that I'm involved in, but it's still working with farmers and, and producers, which I you know have a strong affinity for. And-
0: one thing that I saw from last year, which I was really surprised with, um, one thing that I saw last year that I was surprised with, and also... Um, was something that really bothered me was the fact that um, you know uh, when it came to a program like the dairy margin co- <clears throat> when it came to the dairy margin coverage program, the percentage of farmers who signed up for for DMC was was fairly low. In fact, I thought it was yeah. really surprisingly low. Um, yeah. And you know, um, not to say that 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 signing up for a program like that will make you whole in a situation. Um, like this, I don't think anybody, well, nobody knew what was going to come on with COVID nineteen and the effects of this. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but in your job, you know, how do you how do you communicate to farmers the importance of having, and especially dairy farmers, of having a, a risk management plan there?
1: Yeah, I mean, for more specifically, DMC only covered up to five million pounds um, of production, so. It wasn't appealing for a lot of the bigger farms that are out there. But now there's another program called Dairy Revenue Protection, DRP, which you can cover ultimately anything when you produce up to, you know, 95%. So that's been more appealing for those larger farmers. Um, but you know, it's, it's the, the right now is a great example of why you should have those types of insurances on because everyone came into 2020 thinking it was going to be a good year after, you know, four years of the press prices um people were even thinking about not even putting the insurance on just because you know it wasn't going to pay out the price is going to be good and, and in a matter of weeks you know we saw starting back in january we saw prices just plummet week after week um because of just a huge hit on global demand um and, and these the people that already had these zones and took these precautionary measures are getting these payouts because you know they're it's a business and you got to protect it and you never know what's going to
0: happen. What has it been like um, seeing the struggles of the dairy industry? Um, you know, well, you know, you're in a position where your father still works on the dairy. you still know a lot yeah. of people in New York state who work on dairies. You know, you're very involved in the community. You're very involved in that, and that sector. But what has it been like for you, you know, seeing the, seeing the struggles of dairy farmers from dumping milk to seeing these prices plummet?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, for, for my age, uh, I'm only 23 years old. And you, this is kind of the first crisis that I've ever, ever have been living through, have remembered, you know. So this is very unprecedented for, um, unprecedented for me. When I started working, it was like the middle of January. So, you know, the COVID situation, coronavirus situation was just starting out in, in China. And we were kind of pricing in what that was going to have an effect on dairy prices in, in the, domestically at like the U.S., and you know, it's last year we lost what was it, like eight percent of farms, um, year after year. Um, and this year it's going to be an insane amount, I think, is again, because you know, a lot of farmers don't have the protection now, and a lot of farmers don't know how to deal with these markets and just ride the wave on the ebbs and flows of the market. Um, so I think from here on out, it's going to be the farms that are progressive and implementing measures to protect their, their, their margins are the ones that are going to. Be able to survive this. Um, it's heartbreaking to see our farmers, you know, losing their farms, having to sell out, and consolidation being, you know, a more imminent thing. Um, but you know, at this point in time, it's about making your operation efficient, making your operation profitable, and these small farmers have to take on every precautionary measure they can to make sure they they can leave their farm for the next generation, whether it be their kids or someone else. But it's just. You, know, you never you no one has ever seen anything like this before so it's hard to explain from from my perspective but at this point in time I think everyone has to make collective effort from just the private sector and the public sector with the government making sure we're we're protecting our farmers and making everything making a, uh, an industry where people want to come into and work into because you know essentially it feeds people right it feeds feeds the world so we've got to make sure we're doing the right thing taking the right measures to protect our our producers.
0: How's your father doing?
1: He's doing good. Um, I mean, fortunately our, his farm that he works on is, is is still been doing well. Um, the cooperative that they're, they're shipping to is pretty diverse in in their product line. So they've been taking all the milk that they can get. Um, they haven't been dumping uh, at all. Uh, they haven't been dumping, uh, recently. So, um, he's doing well. Um, you know the work is still on the forefront and 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 it's a they're playing right now so it's pretty busy for them as well so
0: you know it's it's interesting because when you when you look at um when you look at statistics and statistics, statistics are always i think very difficult to really pin down and uh they can be difficult to pin down you can be you can say that they're completely accurate but um you know in terms of You can't have one person go to every single farm and count the number of employees on this farm unless you have a heck of a lot of people who are doing it. Um, Yeah. But I think the USDA and, and, uh, you know, the Bureau of Labor, I think they do the best job that they can. And I'm kind of being long-winded because I'm going back to, um, you know, I'm going back to this idea or the the fact that there's a lot of Hispanics who work on dairy farms and in farming, but on dairy farms especially yeah of um, course you know the hispanic community is really i'm hispanic myself and you're hispanic um you know the 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 community is is well represented in 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 dairy how do, how does it feel being you know somebody of hispanic heritage and uh you're doing fairly well in the industry and you know it it sounds like you're you're um you're, you're setting yourself up for 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 being a leader for many years to come
1: yeah i um, i mean it's it's uh, i always try and and you know do my part in trying to advocate for our farm workers um one of my internships in, in, in college was working for the cornell Farmworker program and that was kind of just a program that was dedicated to um prioritizing farm worker needs making sure they're working in safe environments especially in a rural upstate central new york area where a lot of farms are are smaller and maybe under the osha standard for 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 inspection, which is like less than 11 employees, I think. So we were working with farms who maybe didn't have anyone who spoke both English and, and Spanish. And, you know, we were there to help them create SOPs, make uh, the farm more compatible for the farm worker and make it more efficient for the farmer and his, his, his operation. So um, making sure the farm workers know their rights, um, no matter if they're documented or undocumented. Uh, but I think, you know, there ha- there's always has to be, um, more exposure, more awareness of who is behind the industry, agriculture, whether it be dairy or, or, fruits and vegetables or livestock. You know, it's these immigrant workers who are pre- are essentially producing, milking these cows. You know, harvesting the crops. Um, they're doing the hard work day in and day out for, for 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 the world, for the U.S. So, you know, I think one of my my goals in the future is to to be more involved in that, be a uh, advocate of that, and making sure you know where we're protecting those workers and, and making sure they're providing for their families and providing for the, for the, 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 industry as a whole.
0: Do you ever see yourself coming back to the farm?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's a, it's difficult to say with, you know, you got to be more re- realistic and realizing that the industry is consolidating and it's going to happen even more after this year. Uh, you know, like I said, we lost like 8% of farms last year and, and it's going to be possibly the same or even more next year. So you know, realistically if, if 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 you weren't born into a farm or you weren't really dedicated to one, you know, it's it's hard to, trying to buy into one and it's the payout or the the return it's a, it takes a long time. So I don't I don't think I see myself going back to a dairy or working for a dairy, but um you know, I do dedicate myself to to producers and farm workers and, and farmers and, you know, making sure they're doing everything they can to protect themselves in environments like this. And I, you know, I hope to do that for the rest of my career.
0: You never say never, though, because, you know, I never saw myself as an agriculture journalist. And about 15 years ago, I became an agriculture journalist. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned my lesson to never yeah. say never, you know.
1: That is issue, I, I should say never say never. So yeah, you never know what's going to happen in 10, 15 years.
0: You know, as a young guy, um, you're 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 a young guy, twenty three. Yeah, twenty three. Okay, um, you know, young guy. Um, you just just tell me. You know, g- give me some. You gave me some insight in that. And that really nicely um, and nicely said what you said there. But um, you know, how do we make dairy farming in particular? Um, how do we make that more of an attractive business for? for young people like yourself or for people or, you know, people who are younger than you, how do you make it attractive for, for, for young people to actually get into this business? I mean, we're going to need, we're going to need farmers. I mean, I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't buy this idea that, you know what, that, that there's not going to be any dairy farms left. Dairy farms will be left. We're going to need farmers, um, you know, and, and that's just a simple matter, matter of it. Yeah. But how do we get the younger generation to really buy in and, and want to do this? What can we do?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think JDL Junior is really a good example of, of, of that, of an answer to that, you know, making sure we're, we're implementing and creating and funding these programs in high schools and in colleges as well um, that advocate for agriculture and uh, have these kids immersed in agriculture, you know, meeting industry professionals, meeting uh, different dairies around the U.S. and getting exposed to different things in the industry and, If it wasn't for JDL, if it wasn't for, you know, farms like John Will, then I would, I don't think I would have been in this position or, or gone to Cornell for animal science. Um, so I think it's just, you know, schools like Cornell, maybe the biggest universities that have ag programs, funding programs like Junior Day Leaders to, to have kids every year in high school, uh, come out to their, to their university and, and be exposed to all of this, um you know, just, you know, FFA does a really good job, you know, 4-H does a really good job with that as well. So just, you know, making sure we're having those programs to um, motivate kids to pursue an industry or a-, a career in our culture industry.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, and, and I absolutely agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, um, It just sounds like to me, I mean, I I can definitely hear, you know, just talking to you that, that, you know, having that, being immersed on a farm yourself and, of course, having a father who was able to take you on the farm as a young kid, you know, sounds like that was very, sounds like that was very crucial to your development and your love for the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Well, Alfredo, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having
0: me. Good luck to you, and, uh, and hopefully COVID-19 passes, and uh, we'll get back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah. Soon.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Thank you.
0: And our thanks to Alfredo Resendez Rojo for joining us on the podcast this week. My name is Chris Torres, your host. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on the American Agriculturist Young Farmer Podcast.